Well, like I said, we're going to pick up right where we left off on Christmas Eve. We'll be in Matthew 2 today. Because it's in the face of this great promise that you and I often have to wrestle with how that promise maybe doesn't show up in our day-to-day. You see, because most of us are still in the not yet. Praise God that we're not where we used to be, amen? Amen. But so many of us are not yet where we long to be. That there are areas of our lives that are broken. There are areas of our lives that, that are hard. And we're waiting for God to bring life, to resurrect those areas. And can I encourage you this morning, if you're in that place today, number one, you're not alone. And number two, you're not the first. See, we'll jump into a story today where we find Joseph and Mary are there too. That in the midst of this great promise, angels showing up and proclaiming over them what's about to happen, the birth of their son Jesus, then in the midst of the, of the fulfillment of the promise that God has over their lives, can I say it this way, church? They're not yet out of the woods, okay? And so we're going to use their story as a backdrop for our own. We'll be in Matthew 2, verses 13 through 16. But before we do, we're going to center ourselves around a big question. One big question that we're going to attempt to answer today together. Here it is. In light of it being the last Sunday of the year, how do I look back in such a way that it will actually help me move forward into this next year? So before we dive into Matthew 2, let me just give you a little context. You may or not be familiar with this, but let me just kind of catch you up to speed. So Joseph and Mary, and who's pregnant with Jesus, go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And while they're there, she's, she's due to have him, to give birth to him. And there's, the town is so packed that there's no room for them anywhere else. And so Mary and Joseph end up in a smelly old stable, and she gives birth to the Son of God completely alone. And it's later that night or maybe the next morning where shepherds were in the fields watching their flock by night and a vision of angels comes to them and says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men. And they leave their flock and they go and find this young couple and worship the son of God. And then it's probably six weeks later after Mary has completed the rites of, pers- of purification in, in their Jewish culture that she goes to the temple. And when she goes to the temple, two people stop her a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And they just proclaim the amazing things that God is doing over their life and says that Mary ponders these things in her heart. And then, as far as we know, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus stay in Bethlehem for close to two years. And it's at that time that we pick up in Matthew 2, verse 13. Here it is. It says this. Now after the wise men had left, and I'll tell you about that in a moment, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. You see, wise men from the east come. We don't know how many there are. There could be two or there could be 10, but they come to um, Israel looking for a newborn king based on a new star that has appeared. And they wrongly assume that this new king is in the capital, which actually isn't a bad assumption. So they go to the then king and dictator Herod, looking for the new king, and Herod knows nothing of it. 
And we'll get back to that later in the story. So they ultimately follow the star and it lands over Joseph and Mary's house. And they come, I, I imagine it like the, Joseph, Mary, and they have Jesus strapped into a, a high chair trying to feed him, toddler Jesus. <laughs> About to have dinner, they get a knock on the door and there's wise men with a bunch of camel in their driveway. <laughs> That's how I picture it, okay? You picture it however you want to. I imagine they leave, they don't go back to Herod, they go a different route. I imagine they try to put toddler Jesus down to bed, not successfully, right, like all of us young parents. They finally put him down to bed. I imagine Joseph laying down, and I just imagine him saying this, the promise that God spoke over us so many years ago is finally coming true. You see, Scripture gives us no indication that Joseph and Mary were of any stature, in fact, it gives us a lot of indications that they were probably one of, if not the lowest social class in their culture. And here, wise men show up bringing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, all of which were incredibly valuable in the ancient world. And I just imagine Joseph saying, finally, like finally the promise that God spoke over us is coming to fruition. And then in the middle of the night, he gets a terrifying dream telling them that he has to flee. And I love this word about. To me, this word about means that there is no physical evidence that what God is trying to tell Joseph that it's actually true. That there's no indications, no evidence that, that whatever's about to happen, God is telling Joseph to get in front of it. And so Joseph has to make a choice based solely on trust. And this is the first insight I think we can pull out of this story today. Remember, we're trying to answer this question. How do I look back in such a way that it'll ultimately help me move forward? Here's the first thing we see. By giving God permission to show up in unexpected processes. By giving God permission to show up in unexpected processes. You see, the question that God was asking Joseph that night was, will you trust me? Will you submit to my process for your life? Will you submit to my will? And that question isn't just one that Joseph has to answer. It's one that we have to wrestle with too. I get to the end of every year and I look back at the year and there are still questions that I have. There are still things that I don't know why they went the way that they did. And every year I'm brought to a point where I finally have to say, God, will you take the things that I wish I could have controlled? or the outcomes that I wish I could have swayed, things I wish would have turned out differently, I trust you, take it back. Giving him back the things for this new calendar year that I was never meant to carry in the first place, giving God permission to do what he wants to do, even if we don't understand it. Brings us to the next couple verses, verses 14 and 15, they say this. Then Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what, God had been, what, God, what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now, I have to be honest. Reading those two verses makes me sweat a little bit. Okay? Husbands, look at me. Don't make eye contact with your wife. Okay, just look. Just look straight ahead. It's just you and me. Can I just ask you a question? What would happen... What would happen if you turned to your wife and woke her up out of a dead sleep and said, honey, I think it's time for a road trip? <laughs> like, what would happen to you, okay? 
I know there are a lot of miracles in the Bible, but how is this not one that we talk more about? Like Joseph did this and he lived, okay? If that is not a miracle, I do not know what is. And that is not even considering a midnight road trip with toddler Jesus, okay? Just do this with me, okay? If you have to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. Think back to the last time you either sat next to or went on a road trip with a two-year-old, okay? Just let me see your face, okay? Pain, anguish, I see a tear, single tear over here, okay? I'll be here after, we'll pray together. And this is, no, this is no small feat, right? I think back to a trip that our family took last month in Arizona. For those of you who don't know, my wife and I, we have three girls, ages five and under. Five, two and a half, and today it's nine months. And we took all of them, we loaded them on, um, flew out of Grand Rapids, had a connecting flight in Charlotte, went to Phoenix. We were going to a wedding there. Um, my mom, my sister came along, which was so much fun. We needed the help. We did all the Arizona things, the Grand Canyon, Sedona, Phoenix. It was, it was probably one of our best trips ever. But on the way back, we get, we get to the Phoenix airport early in the morning, I wish you could have seen me. I've got a, I'm pushing a double stroller with three car seats stacked on top in one hand, and I'm pulling our two rolly suitcases with like six backpacks on the back. We're heading, the, the airport's already packed. We drop our stuff off, get our tickets. We're going through security, filtering through our tickets, looking, looking at our seats, and we realize that one person out of our five-person family is not sitting with the rest of us. And the person that they chose to sit 10 rows in front of us all by herself is our two-year-old, <laughs> Naomi. And so we get through security. We get to our gate. I wait in line. I get, up to the, I get up to the gate desk, and I just say two words. I say, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. We, I say, we actually have two other kids that if you could disperse them throughout the plane... <laughs> My wife and I, we could just sit back, watch a movie, maybe catch some, some, you know, sleep. No, I didn't say that. I did look at my wife as soon as we found out, and I said, honey, I know this is going to be hard. I'll take the hit. I'll go sit by myself. You take the girls, okay? And so no lie, that is exactly what we did. And it was fine. It was great. I had a great flight. No, my wife got off that plane looking like she had been through war, okay? She had three girls. It was crazy. Why do I tell you that story? One is so that you will pray for my wife. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's because we so often read this story, and, and those of you who have read this story a lot, we just gloss over this fact, and we rob these, these characters, these people of their humanity. But just imagine what has happened to them in one night. In all seriousness, Joseph and Mary overnight have become political refugees. No time to notify Jesus' daycare to hold their spot. No time to ask the neighbors to mow their lawn. No time to um, cl cl clean out their 401k. No, no time to go to the bank and cash out their reserves. No time to stop by family and friends to let them know they'll be gone for a bit. They could only take what was in their house. And most scholars think that it was only because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that actually financed their trip to Egypt and back, which God had just brought out of the blue.
This is where I'm captivated by this word fulfill because it, it, it signifies ultimately there's, that there's a purpose that God is up to that this young family knows nothing about. Why did God instruct them to go to Egypt as a family? Well, one was to avoid death, which is a pretty good reason. But there's more than that. Here's the second thing that we pull out. Remember, we're trying to answer this question together. Here it is. How do I look back in such a way it'll help me move forward? By following God's purpose found in unfamiliar places. You see, we find this purpose in this phrase, out of Egypt I have called my son. And, and most of us can easily insert Jesus in there, but ultimately that wasn't who it was first written for. It was written in an Old Testament book of Hosea hundreds of years before to, God's, to another one of God's kids, the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, when they were young, had gone to Egypt and they had experienced oppression. Ultimately, they were called out of Egypt, just like Jesus and his family normally would, but with one big difference. You see, Jesus fulfills where Israel fails. Jesus and his family weren't just sent there for their own story. He was actually following in the footsteps and fulfilling where Israel had faltered. Isn't that beautiful? That where Israel was disobedient, Jesus was obedient. Where Israel rebelled, Jesus submitted. Where Israel let their heart chase after idols, Jesus kept his focus fixed on God. Even when Israel struggled to trust God, when they were sent out into the wilderness, later in life when Jesus was sent out into the wilderness, he does not forsake or disobey God. He trusts what God is doing. Someone say, God has a plan. Amen? You may not have traveled to Egypt this year. I certainly didn't. We didn't see the pyramids. But can I just read some of the unfamiliar places that I know some of you have been this year? I lost my job. I was given a new life-altering diagnosis. We still can't get pregnant. The engagement fell through. Our marriage is on life support. Our marriage is over. I lost my parent. I lost my sibling. I lost my grandparent. I lost my child. My kids won't speak to each other anymore. My kids won't speak to me anymore. I've lost all the friendships I thought I had. I've never felt farther away from God than I have this year. You see, I don't know what purpose God has for you, but I know that he has one and the power to bring it about. You see, you and I, we can still find purpose in unfamiliar places. Here's the last verse we'll read today. Here it is, verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Now I know that this is a really strange verse to end on for 2021. But I think it communicates a spiritual principle because everything that we celebrated yesterday for Jesus' birth is so true. That because he came, lived, and died, we can enter back into a relationship with God who we ultimately broke trust with. And that deserves to be celebrated as we did. But Jesus' entrance into the world also stirred up an evil that is indescribable, a pain that is unbearable, and a hope that seems snuffed out from the very beginning. Here's the last thing that we learned. Remember, we're trying to answer this question. Here it is. How do we look back in such a way we can all move forward by clinging to God's promise 
in the midst of our pain. Here's what we know, church. That even the evidence of immense pain does not negate the truth of God's promise over our lives. Amen? Even the evidence of immense pain, it doesn't negate God's truth over our lives. You could say it this way. You could say pain does not prove that God's promise is not true. Even when we experience it. You see, we don't have all the answers, but here's what we learned from this passage today. Here's, here, here's the answer that we've been looking for, how we would answer this question. Here it is. How do we look back in such a way that we would move forward? By asking God for perspective for the past that results in renewed hope for the future. Perspective for the past that results in new hope for the future. If I'm praying for anything today, it's this. That in light of what has happened to you this year, in light of what you've walked through, that you would not walk into 2022 less convinced of God's love for you. Less convinced that he is who he says he is. Less convinced of his power and of his grace. I'm asking that if God would give you anything today that you did not have when you opened up your laptop, turned on your phone, or walked through these doors, it would be perspective for this past year that results in renewed hope for the future. No matter what has happened to us, what we've endured, the pain that we've gone through, because God can still ignite hope. And he can still renew our strength and give us fresh vision for our lives. You see, I am preaching this to myself today as much as I am to you. This year has not turned out to be everything that our family would have, would have hoped it would be. Yesterday was our first Christmas as a family without my dad. And he passed away after three and a half years of a, just an ugly fight with brain cancer. And part of me can't believe that it's been 10 months. And I still have questions. And I'm still wrestling through things. I'm still asking God to give me clarity and peace. But the pain that we have experienced this year has only elevated our hope for the future. And we are asking God more than ever before that he would move and work and bring new life into areas of brokenness in our lives and in this world that he loves so much. And if there's one thing that I've been blessed by this year, it's been the fact that in my pain, in my distress, in my hurt, in my frustration, in my anger, even in my hopelessness, the truth that I am not alone. That pain is not a place that God, that God shies away from. That pain is not a destination that he refuses to go. Pain is the place where he meets us so often to do his healing work. And every day I have to give him permission to be with me in my pain. And that's my prayer for you. That you and I, that we would stop carrying all the things that we were never meant to carry, the things that we've gone over this year, and begin a transfer to the only one who was meant to carry it in the first place. And some of you are saying, Evan, I would love to do that. I just don't know how. And so let me give you just three things with the last couple minutes that we have, three things that might be helpful next steps for you. Here's the first. Schedule a time to grieve. This is something that before this year I did not know anything of. But as my dad was passing, Pete came alongside and he said, Evan, I think you just need to schedule some time to grieve. You see, for most of us, we can fill our lives with so many things, that, and grief needs to come up for air. 
Grief needs to come out in the open. Grief needs some space to breathe. And for me, the perfect place was walking the pier in Grand Haven. My dad loved Lake Michigan. We spent so much time on or around Lake Michigan. And so it's a, it has been a perfect place for me to talk to my heavenly father and my earthly father at the same time. Maybe you need some space to grieve. Second one is this. Find a safe place to tell the truth. I'm so passionate about this one. Because I think for so many of us, even those of us who have been in the church for so long, there are so many things that we think that we don't share with anyone else. Even the people who love us, even the people who are closest to us, because it's too ugly, it's too raw, it's too harsh, and so we either lash out or we just keep stuffing it down. And can I just encourage you? Jesus says these words. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So many of us need that freedom. We need a safe place to tell the truth. For me, the most frequent place is a journal. That it's not until I actually write down the words of what I'm thinking, it's only then that I can differentiate what is true and what is not. You see, for so long, I thought that if, if the thoughts or the words were in my brain, that they were mine, and that's just not reality. That you and I, we have a spiritual enemy, and his chief mission is to deceive and to lie. And so for me, it's been so helpful to write in a journal and to invite God in, because I don't see experiences or life as it is. I see it as I am. And to invite God into that process, maybe you need to find a safe place to tell the truth. Here's the last one. Maybe you need to invite someone into the process. Maybe you need to be surrounded with other believers. Maybe you need a place to tell someone what's really going on. Maybe it's just one person. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's a parent. You see, so many of us, we long to be healed and to find freedom from any other way than having to be real with another person. That if there was any other way, and for whatever reason, God has designed us for community. He's designed us to be together. We don't say that lightly, that we are better together than apart. That God has designed us to be with each other. That heaven is not going to be a place where we all have our own separate villas where we can close the door and shut the garage door. Heaven's gonna be a place where we're with God and with each other. And that's not just true about where we're going, it's true about today. Maybe you've never been a part of a group. I talked to, I talked to someone this fall and they said, man, I'm so willing to do anything but join a group. I will wake up at 5 a.m. and do an hour of devotions by myself, but please do not ask me to join a group. Because there's something about so many of our stories that we've been hurt by people that we trust, and we just can't take one more hit. And I'm not here to tell you what to do, but can I just encourage you? I think sometimes the thing that we long for most, the healing that we most desire is in the presence of other believers. That God's created us that way. He's wired us that way. Maybe you need to invite someone into the process. What's your next step? Maybe it's something that I just listed. Maybe it's not. That's okay. I'm not your Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does want to speak to you. He, does, he doesn't want any of us to leave looking the same 
than when we walked in, that he wants to speak to us, mold us, shape us. For you, maybe you, maybe you really don't know what your next step is. And can I just encourage you, we're going to start something in January, January 10th. It's called 21 Days of Prayer. I don't think there's a better way to start off your year than to recoup after, after Christmas, after New Year's, and to say, God, I want to know what you have for me this year. I want to create space that all of our lives are so noisy and busy that I'm going to do something different in order to see different results. And I'm going to create space because I believe that you want to speak to me. Would you join us for 21 days of prayer? And would you ask some of those questions and invite God into that process? I want to pray for you today. I know that for so many of you, this year has not been easy. And can I just say it again? You're not alone. The church is a hospital for sick and broken people. We need each other and we need Jesus. Amen. And so I'm going to create a space, and I, just, I would love for it to be a space where you can just talk to God. So let me do that right now for those of us who are here, for those online. If you'll close your eyes. God, thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We find life in your word. We find hope in your word. We know that we're not alone because of your word. God, we thank you for the struggles of the people we find in those pages because their struggles are our own. And they call to us and they remind us of our own pain and hurt and sacrifice. And when we start to open up the door of our heart, who is there to meet us but you? You don't want us to do it all by ourselves. You don't want us to run this race on our own but you want to meet us. You want to carry us. You want to encourage us. You want to strengthen us where we're weak. You want to be with us in our pain and our brokenness and our sin and our hurt, that you're not content to gloss over those areas because you know the hope, the healing, the vision that you can bring to our lives. Oh God, would you help us do that? I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, would you help them and encourage them? Would you remind them that you are strong, that you are enough, that you haven't abandoned them, that you haven't walked away from them, but that you're here? And I also want to pray for for those of you who, whether you walked in or you're watching online right now, and, and you would say at the beginning of this, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And at some point throughout this morning that you feel like God has been calling to you and maybe you don't even know exactly what that means, but something feels different. And all I wanna do is create a space where you can respond to God and to not run past this moment because I do think he's been calling you. I think he's been running after you. I think he's been longing to see you come to this moment. And so I don't wanna run past it. I just wanna give you a space. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I just want you to pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I I hear you calling to me. I'm so sorry for going my own way, for doing things in my own time. But God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to surrender everything that I have. I want to give you the keys. I want you to take the wheel. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to submit to your process, to your will, wherever it takes me, whatever it costs, whatever it ends up looking like, I want you to be in charge of my life. Oh God, would you make me new? 
Holy Spirit, would you fill me? And would you help me? Would you mold me and shape me into your image? Would you give me the strength and the endurance that I need to honor you and glorify you in my life? Just one more moment. God, we love you. We're here for you. And we thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. And we do. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. Come on. And somebody said, amen and amen.